Welcome to episode 221 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we have a good friend, long-time contributor, Surf William, and we talk to the surf about politics, about class issues, being Pollyanna, socialism for the rich, a messed up paradigm, disenfranchisement, single-payer health care, and fear, ignorance, so much more. You'll get a kick out of it, I'm sure. Maybe learn a little something, too. We also have an EW conundrum essay by me titled Dandelion Deluxe and a poem titled April Fool. Also an excerpt of Truman Capote's In Cold Blood will be shared. All of this surrounded by several great tunes. Thanks for being with us. Let's get to it. Episode 221 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Love of the loveless 
Dandelion Deluxe. My mind is in a state of flux. Maybe if I made the big bucks, I'd have more clarity, a stronger sense of self. Do you ever wonder why you seek such acceptance and approval? Do you ever really see the substance making tangible one's incessant need for removal of any wayward chance that they may not advance beyond their task and circumstance? This, I believe, often will lead to a person's greater likelihood of being bamboozled, transmorgified, and disfigured at the cellular level, and deep down intrinsic into far more beyond two. It corrupts the soul pollutes the whole. For what, I wonder? Money? Status? Comfort? Control? How about instead parole? Freedom for time served? The light of the future illuminates us presently as it casts Shadows long and short into the past. Enough of the misdirectedness, I say. This trip forever will not last. Yeah, don't stop.
player. At times I'm a studio conveyor. Mr. Dinkins, would you please be my mayor? You'll be doing us a really big favor. Boy, this track really has a lot of flavor. When it comes to rhythms, what's is your savior? Follow us for the funky behavior. Make a note on the rhythm we gave you. Feel free, drop your pants, check your hair. Do you like the garments that we wear? I instruct you to be the obeyer. A rhythm recipe that you'll savor. Doesn't matter if you're minor or major. Yes, the tribe of the game with a player. As you inhale like a breath of fresh air. anything talk to my lawyer you putz no sir william how are you sir it's nice to have you on troubadours and rock on tours your timing is wonderful Come on. excellent your timing is beautiful it couldn't be better it's it's scary how good it is well i'm happy to hear that you know i'm looking forward it's been been a while since we've uh, spoken i think the last time we spoke it was before this bad dream that we you know is coming out of Washington D.C. I believe it was before well, Trump won, right? Um, it's possible. I don't know. It's been a bad dream for so. It feels like so long now. I can't really keep track of it. Yeah, I know. And and what we're gonna do? I, I themed our conversation uh, just to April Fools, catching up on all that rules. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, you have a gift, <laughs> or maybe some kind of disorder. Not sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, you're a poet, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's not it's not for one to say so themselves. You know, I'll let other people chime in on that. But I have fun. I'll tell you that. Mm, um, I can tell. So, uh, what do you think, man? What's going on? What what rules here? What what is all that rules, you fool? Well, <laughs> is this just open topic? I can talk about whatever I want? Yes, you can. Well, I mean, I really feel I have to believe on some deeper level that um, it's all distraction. Uh, I, I feel like the power structure that's in place right now doesn't really, uh, doesn't really change too radically. You know, we liked Obama. Right, we liked him. Per- I mean, I think I can speak for you when I say that. Is yes. That, am I okay doing that? Yeah, we liked the guy. Like he was a likable guy, right? He wasn't George W. Bush, thank God. And we and we liked him. He we weren't embarrassed by him as president. As a matter of fact, we were proud of him as president. Um, I, we liked him on a personal level. You know, we didn't like George W. Bush. We, you know, D- Donald Trump doesn't even require us to say anything. I mean, that's the. This is, a, this is an abomination on every level. But still, in spite of all of that, 
the, the, the power structure doesn't really change. The wealthy continue to make money. The worker continues to be exploited. Wealth continues to be redistributed from the worker to the, to the wealthy elite. And that dynamic just continues on. And I have to ask myself, all of this stuff seems to be sound and fury signifying nothing because although I feel it's important for us to have integrity in government, it doesn't seem to change the very basic dynamic of the wealthy and powerful exploiting the worker. I still see it as a class issue ultimately. And as much as I'm outraged by Trump and would love to see him get impeached, I don't believe in my heart of hearts that it would radically change anything. In Trump's case, if Pence stays in power, it, it, things could conceivably get worse. Yeah. Yeah. Pence is no uh, good sort of visionary. He's not a visionary of, of my I, type. I, I watch it like I watch professional football. I understand the institution of the NFL is is rotten in so many ways. It's just a horrible it's a horrible uh, uh, institution in terms of the exploitation of taxpayer money profit going to the wealthy, again, people being exploited, the athletes even being exploited. Yes, they can make a lot of money in their, their very brief NFL careers, but we're seeing now the consequences, the long-term consequences of, of, their, of their participating in the sport, right? Brain damage, all kinds of stuff going on. And, and yet, I can't help myself. On Sundays, I love nothing more than to order a tray and get a six-pack and watch the Eagles play football. Uh, knowing that what I'm watching is really not a healthy thing. You know, professional football is not, it's not a healthy activity. And it goes against my very basic moral beliefs. You know, this idea that it's almost like gladiatorial in a way, right? We know these guys are really hurting themselves, but we don't care. We love to watch our team play. I, I, I have that relationship with politics. I can't help myself. I love the drama. I love to follow it. I love to root for one side and curse the other side. And, and I love to hope that my side wins and the other side loses. But in the back of my mind, there's that really uneasy feeling like it doesn't change anything. Nothing, nothing radically changes. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to talk about and I actually enjoy talking about the current political drama that's unfolding right now. But it's always with a footnote, and the footnote is, yeah, but it doesn't really matter. On some really, on some deeper level, it doesn't really matter, and and so that's kind of where I'm at with this whole Flynn thing and the whole Trump administration in general. Yeah, and as you said, it, it, it's a and the NFL is a distraction, and in many ways, this drama is a distraction. A distraction, right? You know, distracts us from living better lives. Really, we get caught up in the drama. And we lose, and it really narrowly sort of uh, sets the parameters of what what we should be pursuing in life. We get caught up in the dysfunction and lose ourselves. Well, I think we have to differentiate between getting caught up in the drama and being an engaged citizenry. So there's nothing wrong with being engaged in the political process and knowing what's going on. And, 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 and taking a stand on issues that are important to you and letting elected officials know how you feel and demanding that they acknowledge you know, your beliefs and, and that, they, that they act in some way. Uh, and I believe in all of that. You know, and I'm a public school teacher, too, so I have an obligation, in my opinion. You know, my mandate is I have to help these kids become engaged citizens. It's not just enough to teach them algebra or German. You have to teach them the importance of being engaged in your community. 
uh, on some larger level. It usually looks political, but it doesn't have to, you know, the, the, the vehicle does not have to be political organization. You could be involved in a social group in your community just being engaged. Um, I feel like, I feel like all, while all that stuff is important, it doesn't really seem to be changing anything in any, in any real substantive way. I agree, you know, and myself, I've been reflecting on similar things as of late. You see so many institutions, whether they are, you know, closer to home in your life, you know, the place that you work, the government that uh, controls your municipality, your state, and then, you know, the larger government of the nation, they, they oftentimes pretty much exclude anyone who wants there to be change or who questions the status quo to a point where those individuals then feel disenfranchised and disconnect uh, and thus and they feel there's no way other than through those institutions to make change to to question what is right and wrong what is good what is just and such but that isn't true I'm coming to realize you just have to create other means by which to change and those other means will have to push back at those institutions, shake up those institutions that are now pretty much in, codifying and, and solidifying their vision, their way through their power as to how we live and how we look at what life is all about and what is important. Well, that, well, you know, we oftentimes let institutions take over when they are ours. Well, if you if we continue to allow, and I, I mean, this is the dilemma. Money has been the mother's milk of politics for hundreds and hundreds of years. We know that. But if we continue to pretend that we all have an equal voice in the political system, in the process, you know, then we're deluding ourselves. Because the bottom line is I, with my meager resources, cannot compete with, uh, you know, ExxonMobil. It's, 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 it's obvious. So, you know, how do we level that playing field? Well, one way is to get money out of politics, have a public fund. That's what politics, uh, that's what politicians use. Um, and therefore that levels the playing field that would make, maybe that would make the process more democratic. I understand the pitfalls in that too. But what I'm saying is right now, the way our system is set up clearly, and, and I don't mean to be cliche, but clearly our representatives are purchased. I mean, it's by the, when you look at when you look at political um, financing, campaign financing, candidates are purchased. And if you're not willing to do a deal with those with the resources, they will buy somebody else and they will kick your ass. And that's the way it works. Uh, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. But, you know, I've been studying more and more uh, the Roman Empire. And, you know, this is an age old dilemma. The wealthy the wealthy determine the the policy right not the poor no no and then what happens and what happens and let's look at, let's just look at america for a minute what happens when poor people do start to band together and um, gain a political voice and gain some political influence well here's what you see from the republicans you see disenfranchisement right Right. Uh, uh, voter ID laws, which are designed to do nothing more than keep people from voting. Gerrymandering, which is designed to do nothing more than to separate a, a, a coherent political block, thereby making it powerless. So every time you start to see progress in terms of the worker, uh, 
the 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 socio-political disenfranchised coming together, you see a reaction. You see a, a knee-jerk reaction from the right trying to do anything they can to eliminate those gains or to roll back those that progress and to take power away from those people. Exactly. So that's the struggle that goes on and on and on, and I will continue to say it again. It's easy to get back to your original question. It's easy to get into this drama now. We would love to see Trump get indicted. We would love to see Trump get impeached. It would be great. But And as much as I would love that, and I would love that, I have to ask myself, is it really going to change the dynamic? And as long as you have things like Citizen United and gerrymandering and voter ID laws, no, nah, it's not really going to radically. Yes, there might be um, EPA uh, uh, mandates and so forth that we are able to maintain, and that's great. But it's not going to radically change the dynamic in this country right now, which is the radical redistribution of wealth and power to to the elite from the worker. Well, you know, um, I'm better after a cup of coffee. Yeah, it's better. We're better doing this in the morning. I agree. Because uh, laying here in bed naked with my coffee, just I get I get motivated. <laughs> as long as you're not getting aroused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that my dog is laying right next to me right now in bed. That, oh. just, that just might be going too far. No, that sounds nice. Uh, yeah, no, she's good. Surf William, ladies and gentlemen, on the program. Uh, <laughs> Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. Just two... Now April you have Fools. to say your disclaimer. The views expressed in this interview do not represent the views of this radio station or any of its affiliates. No, we don't have to say that. Okay, good. <laughs> two American two American fools on April. In April. Yes. Catching up on all that rules. Yes. My birthday that, month. My birthday month. Don't forget. I expect a nice expensive gift. Fifty one, right? You'll be. <sighs> yeah, yeah, and I feel good about it. You should. 51. I do. People are always talk about the decline and I feel really fortunate because, you know, in terms of in terms of being healthy and active, I feel really, really good. Yeah, you know, you get a little stiff when you wake up and you're like, oh, your legs hurt or your knees hurt or something. But it's nothing real radical. I've been really I've been really fortunate. That's good. I'm happy to hear. It. Yeah. And that's really crucial. The physical health. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which yeah. which which may allow us now to segue right into single payer health care. Let's go. Single payer healthcare. I'm sure you're an advocate of such. A oh, system. it's such a no-brainer. It's just, I mean, there you go. There's a classic example of of how the wealthy and the uh, the wealthy and corporate elite in this country manipulate the worker. Every country in the world, every first world country, civilized first world country, has a national healthcare system. It's an. It's just. It's almost. So commonsensical that it doesn't even require a debate. Those countries don't debate that. They don't debate that in Scandinavia. They don't debate that in Switzerland. They don't even debate that in Eastern Europe. They don't debate it in Finland. I've been to these places. I've actually needed medical care in these places. You walk into a doctor's office. They take your name. Since I'm not a citizen, they ask me for my passport. They take down my passport number. They treat me. I look around for somebody to pay. I got my credit card out. They laugh at me. Get out of here. You don't pay us. Oh, a sign of a it's civilized. For an American. It's, it's, it's a sign of a civilized, humane society. Exactly. You have a human being here who needs health care. You simply provide the health care. You don't ask them what who their insurance uh, a carrier is. You don't ask them what their deductible is. They're sick. They need help. You help them. It's pretty simple. And uh, I mean, we're listening to people like you know, brain, brain, uh, brainiacs like 
Paul Ryan and uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Donald Trump right. uh, as to what – not that Donald Trump has even read any of the things that he supported uh, for, for our guidance on, on what would be best in terms of health care. These guys are numbskulls in my opinion. You know, well, heinous numbskulls. Yes, it's odd. But right. I, I like saying it because it has to be stated. Right. Paul Ryan, wow, what a – I, I, right. I, what, what can you say about people like Paul Ryan? But, you know, I'm going to tell you something. And this is a meme that was going around on Facebook I saw, but I agree with it. I'm not so much concerned about those those lowlifes. I'm more concerned about your average person who votes for them. Right. That's that's what continues to. I'm not shocked that there are sleazy politicians. I'm shocked that there are people who who vociferously support them. Why do they? Because they're misinformed. Wow. Or is it We don't have enough time on this show today. I, I, I try to whittle these things down to some essential truth if I can. And, and the essential truth that I come to, that I, that, I, that I end up coming to when you ask a question like that is, our beliefs are very strong. Man is a creature that has the ability to believe, even in the face of all the contrary evidence, we somehow it's 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 wrapped up in our DNA. If we choose to believe something, even if every single thing we experience in the real physical world tells us it can't be true, we still believe it. So people believe in God. Why do they believe in God? I'm not really sure why they believe in God, but they want to believe in God. People believe that Republicans care about individual freedom. Why do they believe that? I'm not really sure why they believe that, because that's not the Republican platform for years and years and years. But they simply choose to believe it. You know, look, the person who's a a Christian fundamentalist, they really do believe that the Democratic candidate wants to make Christianity illegal. They really believe that. They really believe Obama wanted to take their guns and their Bibles away. They really, really believe that. So no matter what evidence we show them, um, climate change is real. They choose not to believe that. Now we have all this scientific evidence, 97% of climate scientists say it, but you choose to believe it's not happening, that it's a hoax created by the Chinese, and you believe it. So what can you say about people? Why do they vote for Paul Ryan? Because their ability to believe in stuff, even if it's completely ridiculous, overrides logic, common sense, and what they're seeing right in front of their own eyes. Yes. That's my theory. Yes, I'm, but what? Why is that? You know, I mean, their ability to do so it is definitely apparent uh, and exists. But why? I mean, what is it? it what, it's got to be based in in some sort of uh, fear. Uh, yes. So, okay. Good. All right. Good. Yep. Fear. Got it. Yeah. Fear. Maybe also, and I fear is probably the the most prevalent. Uh, I'll uh, buy that factor. But there are things that are associated that come out of fear, like. Uh, while those guys think they're smarter than me, anti-intellectualism. And anger, anger, look at underneath anger, the emotion, we all know this, the emotion that you find when you get past the anger, the emotion that you find is fear. Why does the dog growl at you when you walk past his yard? That dog's not macho or trying to be tough or, or, or posturing because it makes him feel good. That dog, ultimately, there's fear there, right? This is an intruder. Uh, how do I protect myself from a potential threat? I show my teeth and the hair on my back goes up and I growl. It's nothing more than the dog being afraid of the scenario. So, I mean, underneath the anger, so underneath the hate crimes and underneath the anti-immigration legislation uh, and underneath this anti-Muslim rhetoric, 
uh, for the people who vote for it, ultimately they're, they're, they're afraid of something. And a lot of fear does come from ignorance. Oh, yeah. Uh, or surely. the stuff you should be afraid of, you've been redirected. You've been manipulated by the propaganda. And so you should be afraid of people like Trump who send jobs overseas and profit from that at the expense of American workers. You should be afraid of him. But with clever rhetoric, you're afraid of a Muslim. Now, what did that Muslim do to you? Nothing. What are they going to do to you? Nothing. But what did the men in suits do to you on Wall Street and Washington? They screwed you. They took your pension. They stole your retirement money. Um, they sent your jobs overseas. They shut down your factory. But yet you hate Mexicans. Right. Now figure that one out. Right. And, and they're, and they're going to uh, rip, they're ripping to shreds any sort of regulations that will protect the yeah. environment you live in, making you sick, making your children yeah. sick. And now, is it, is it ignorance? You're not afraid of that. Yeah. Now, is it ignorance? On one level, it's ignorance. But below all of that, under, uh, at the very, 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 um, um, at the foundation of that is fear. Yeah. And, and I would have to say laziness, too. I think it's, and apolo- I yeah, think it's and laziness. Apolo- because and I got to say this. The rhetoric. Let me just put this in there for a second, Sir Fulham. The rhetoric that they choose to believe is, is crafted in a way to simplify very complicated situations. And they choose to believe that rather than look at the more honest, more complicated rendition of what the challenge is that we're facing. Oh, that's too complicated. I don't want to think about it. This guy, this woman makes it simple. I trust that. I'm going to go with that. It's laziness, too, I think. Oh, well, I, that's a whole... Again, we don't have enough time to talk about the, 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 the ignorance level of the population in this country. It's really shocking. But again, but again, yeah, I do think people are really misinformed and really ignorant. And that, even, and that makes it easier to play on their fears. Right? It makes them easier to manipulate. Like, I like... I usually vote... Well, I always vote Democratic when I'm not voting for an independent candidate or somebody in the Green Party. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware of the manipulation. I'm aware that it's not the person. It's not the ideal person I'm voting for. But in the political system, such as we find it, it's the best I can get right now. And I and I acknowledge that that's kind of the nature of politics. Um. People who didn't like Hillary Clinton and voted for Jill Stein, I get where they're coming from. I totally get it. But I also think on another level, and this is a debate that I'm always welcome to get into because I'm not really sure where I come down on it. But I'll say for the sake of argument, you're being naive, you're being Pollyanna, and you're being unrealistic. If you're not going to vote for the candidate who comes closest to your ideals, um, who's going to win, or has a really good chance of winning. And instead, you're taking a vote away from that person and giving it to someone who you know is not going to win. Politics doesn't work that way. Uh, it's glacial. It, it, politics is glacial change. Hillary Clinton had all kinds of problems. We don't even need to rehash all of that. But when you looked at our options in November, it was clearly Hillary Clinton you should be voting for. There was ne- never any doubt. Um, but people didn't do it. And let me Well, say they this. did. They did. People more, did do it. And their votes were... And their votes... And again... The Republican strategy to win elections is to disenfranchise, gerrymander. And then in November, if you follow the investigative reporting of Greg Pallast and Rolling Stone, they just threw out their votes. If you go to, to Detroit, to Flint, to other major urban areas where voters vote overwhelmingly Democratic, those ballots just disappeared. They're gone. Hundreds of thousands of ballots are gone. 
Now, I trust Greg Palast, and I've been following him. He's a reporter I trust. Uh, all of his reporting leads to the conclusion that um, election boards in urban centers and, and sta state-centered election boards conveniently lost, threw away, or discarded, or considered invalid hundreds of thousands of ballots in urban areas. Um, How could that so, happen? you know, there's, an, there's, I, I, there's another there's another strategy for manipulating the vote. Just throw the ballots out. Well, how come? Why isn't that a bigger story? Well, exactly. Well, I'll tell you, OK, why isn't it a bigger story? Well, and I hate to say it, but who owns the news outlets? My God, I listen to NPR every day. I'm offended that Trump is talking about taking away funding for public broadcasting. But you know who one of the biggest private funders of NPR is you Coke? can hear it after every show. The Koch brothers, the Koch brothers. You simply have to look at where the money comes from to ask yourself, can I really believe this reporting is objective? And let me say one more thing. I'm an avid uh, watcher of Russia Today, RT. Um, I watch it almost every day. Uh, it's a real propaganda machine for the Kremlin. But the way you determine uh, who's pulling the strings at a news organization is not by is not by what they're reporting. It's by what they're not reporting. It's by what they're not saying. There's reasons why you don't hear this stuff on mainstream media. There's reasons why on Russia, t Russia Today you see great exposés on uh, 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 civil war and civil strife in Africa. You see great exposés on the corruption of Hillary Clinton and the corruption of the European Union, but you never hear they don't mention Vladimir Putin Ever, ever, ever. They only mention Donald Trump in the most glowing terms. I mean, so there's a reason why they cover the things they cover in the way that they cover them, because somebody is paying for that news coverage. So that's and, why we haven't heard about the ballots missing and thrown, being thrown out in places like Flint or Detroit. Yeah, I heard all that on RT, surprisingly enough. Uh, Greg Palast uh, is a regular contributor on a show on, on Russia Today. And, and, I, and, and I know those same... Those same um, um, segments were in Rolling Stone too, because he's a regular contributor to Rolling Stone too. And I, tr you know, find a news source that you really trust. I trust Rolling Stone's political coverage. I think they do a really good job. Now let me ask you another question, Sir William. We only have about four minutes or so. Last, no, last... you can't shut me down. You can't censor me. <laughs> uh, well, David, uh, David Koch is here telling me enough. <laughs> right. No more funding. Pull the for plug. Pull, pull the plug. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. <laughs> um, but last week I had on my show uh, an American journalist. Seamus McGraw, and he, we were talking about the, the need, if we're going to get past all of the, all this turmoil in politics and, and move ahead as a country to really deal with the challenges we face, we must talk to one another and not be polarized and not be mean to each other. Uh, do you see that as, as a, a way to go? Is that, is that possible? Is that the way you, you would do it? Or should we just, I mean, the way you and I are talking about Republicans, none of those folks are going to sit down and, and uh, are, speak with us because we're you know, insulting them probably. Well, there's a show on NPR now. It's, uh, it's, a, it's only on for the first hundred days of the Trump administration. It's called Indivisible. It's on every night at eight o'clock. And that's exactly their objective, to get left and right, to sit down together and just have a discussion about this stuff. You know, no inflammatory stuff, no innuendo, no um, undocumented uh, news stories. Just just talking about why we vote the way we vote, what we believe and so forth. I obviously, obviously, I think that's crucial. I think that's crucial. Personally, though, uh, and on a personal level, I don't have a lot of patience for ignorance. And I got to say, people who voted for Trump, you know, otherwise rational people, 
for example, somebody who says I voted for Obama in the last election, but I voted for Trump this time. I don't know what to think about that person. I'm not sure what to say about that person. And I do have a hard time sitting down with them and talking to them reasonably because I think they're really dumb. I absolutely th- and, I, and, I, and I, I can't get past that. You know, you voted for Trump. I would again ask, why did you vote for Trump? And I'll say it again. And I'm probably not the person to be sitting on one of these uh, uh, reconciliation forums because <laughs> I would be bad for it. If you vote Republican, you are at least one of three things. I'll say it again. You are either rich, mean, or stupid. Those are the three. If you're voting Republican, you are one of those things. And I, and I, and I stand by that. And you can create the straw man Republican voter and you can say, what about this person? What about that person? And I, I, can, I can guarantee you I will find a reason to say that person is one of those three things, at least one of those three things. They may be more. And I've been asking for years for somebody to prove me wrong. I would love for somebody to show me that I'm wrong, but nobody can. Our good friend over in France, who shall remain nameless, tried one day in a conversation. John to, Quinn. To, yes, to construct, to construct a uh, theoretical Republican voter. And I was able to show you, oh, in that instance, that person is wealthy. In that instance, that person is mean. In that instance, that person is misinformed or stupid. Um, uh, I think the idea is a great one. Yes, we do need to talk. We absolutely need to talk. But the, the, the paradigm in which the debate happens is, in my opinion, invalid and artificial. So therefore, the dialogue doesn't have a lot of meaning to me. And the paradigm is, again, talking about gerrymandering and disenfranchisement. Yeah, the paradigm is the corporate, money. Constructed, the corporate constructed political paradigm where only certain arguments or discussions will be considered. And if it falls outside of, that the, of, the, of, that, of the mainstream, it's discarded as radical or unrealistic or, 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 or somehow uh, disingenuous and inaccurate. And, and I don't buy that. Look, I'm, I'm way far on the left. I, I think... I think getting to some form of socialism, because here's the deal. The rich, rich people have socialism already. When the banks fail, the taxpayers bail them out. Wall Street's not going to crumble because they've got our tax money. We bail them out and then they give their executives massive golden parachutes. That's socialism on the largest level. It's the opposite of capitalism. But poor people and workers, when we have trouble, we're cutting your health care. We're cutting unemployment benefits. We're cutting uh, centers for retraining and new education, new education programs. So the rich get socialism. They get our money when they're in trouble. The poor people are left to fend for ourselves. It's ruthless capitalism in its most primitive form. So I say, unless we all are playing by the same rules, the entire political debate is completely invalid. Sir Fulham, thank you for being... One of oh, I'm two. just getting started. I'm just getting started. You can't shut me off. I oh. need another hour. <laughs> Next time we'll pick up. Thank, thank you for being uh, one of two uh, American fools, April fools, <laughs> catching up on My all pleasure. that rules. And so it was a, it's always a fun time for me. And I, uh, I, I can't think of anyone I would rather be foolish with. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hopefully we see you soon in, in, in physical form. Oh, yeah, it will be. It will definitely coming. Enjoy spring the break. Spring break next week. I'll be in your I'll be in your hometown. So well, we'll get together. Come knocking on my door. I will do that. Until then, have a good Ciao, week. Ciao, fratello. Ciao. It was in your basement.
In Cold Blood, Truman Capote. The village of Holcomb stands on the high wheat plains of western Kansas, a lonesome area that other Kansans call Out There. Some 70 miles east of the Colorado border, the countryside, with its hard blue skies and desert clear air, has an atmosphere that is rather more far west than middle west. The local accent is barbed with a prairie twang, a ranch hand nasalness, and the men, many of them, wear narrow frontier trousers, stetsons, and high-heeled boots with pointed toes. The land is flat, and the views are awesomely extensive. Horses, herds of cattle, a white cluster of grain elevators, rising as graceful as Greek temples, are visible long before a traveler reaches them. Holcomb, too, can be seen from great distances. Not that there is much to see. Simply an aimless congregation of buildings divided in the center by the main line tracks of the Santa Fe Railroad, a haphazard hamlet bounded on the south by a brown stretch of the Arkansas River, on the north by a highway, Route 50, and on the east and west by prairie lands and wheat fields. After rain, or when snowfalls thaw, the streets, unnamed, unshaded, unpaved, turn from the thickest dust into the dirtiest mud. At one end of the town stands a stark old stucco structure, the roof of which supports an electric sign, Dance. But the dancing has ceased, and the advertisement has been dark for several years. Nearby is another building with an irrelevant sign, this one in flaking gold on a dirty window, Holcomb Bank. The bank closed in 1933, and its former accounting rooms have been converted into apartments. It is one of the town's two, quote, apartment houses, the second being a ramshackle mansion known because a good part of the local school's faculty lives there as the teacherage. But the majority of Holcomb's homes are one-story frame affairs with front porches. Down by the depot, the postmistress, a gaunt woman who wears a rawhide jacket and denims and cowboy boots, presides over a falling-apart post office. The depot itself, with its peeling sulfur-colored paint, is equally melancholy. The chief, the super chief, the El Capitan, go by every day, but these celebrated expresses never pause there. No passenger trains do, only an occasional freight. Up on the highway, there are two filling stations, one of which doubles as a meagerly supplied grocery store, while the other does extra duty as a cafe, Hartman's Cafe, where Mrs. Hartman, the proprietress, dispenses sandwiches, coffee, soft drinks, and 3.2 beer. Holcomb, like all the rest of Kansas, is dry. And that really is all, unless you include as one must the Holcomb School, a good-looking establishment which reveals a circumstance that the appearance of the community otherwise camouflages.
that the parents who send their children to this modern and ably staffed, quote, consolidated school, the grades go from kindergarten through senior high, and a fleet of buses transport the students, of which there are usually around 360, from as far as 16 miles away, are, in general, a prosperous people. Farm ranchers, most of them, they are outdoor folk of very varied stock, German, Irish, Norwegian, Mexican, Japanese. They raise cattle and sheep, grow wheat, milo, grass seed, and sugar beets. Farming is always a chancy business, but in western Kansas, its practitioners consider themselves, quote, born gamblers, for they must contend with an extremely shallow precipitation. The annual average is 18 inches and anguishing irrigation problems. However, the last seven years have been years of droughtless beneficence. The farm ranchers in Finney County, of which Holcomb is a part, have done well. Money has been made not from farming alone, but also from the exploitation of plentiful natural gas resources, and its acquisition is reflected in the new school, the comfortable interiors of the farmhouses, the steep and swollen grain elevators. Until one morning in mid-November of 1959, few Americans, in fact, few Kansans had ever heard of Holcomb. Like the waters of the river, like the motorists on the highway, and like the yellow trains streaking down the Santa Fe tracks, drama in the shape of exceptional happenings had never stopped there. The inhabitants of the village, numbering 270, were satisfied that this should be so, quite content to exist inside ordinary life, to work, to hunt, to watch television, to attend school socials, choir practice, meetings of the 4-H club. But then in the earliest hours of that morning in November, a Sunday morning, certain foreign sounds impinged on the normal nightly Holcomb noises, on the keening hysteria of coyotes, the dry scrape of scuttling tumbleweed, the racing, receding wail of locomotive whistles. Jacket and a black bandana Kicking over trash cans And telling jokes in Atlanta When I got the fever It hit me like a fan On the back of my hand I don't know who I am But I'm free for nothing Good for nothing too Crazy dreams Still crazy about you Won't you let me in one more time Babe, I wanna feel it too well, nothing is a lie, babe, if you know it ain't true Take a look at me now Take a look at me now Hearts on fire, so is the page 
Everybody around here is telling me to act my age I'm trying Things are only revealed In the light that is given Oh, to be free from the party When all else is forgiven Rain outside's blowing in the curtains Nothing is revealed But nothing is for certain As I recall you was drinking from the sanctuary wine Well, don't worry baby We'll find all of our lost time Take a look at me now Take a look at me now As I recall you were standing there You was holding your rosary beads Ooh. Everyone around here seems to think he knows what he needs Ooh. Seven ugly reasons kept me away from you then Nothing is much weaker than the resolve of most men I remember when we was alone in your room Staring out your window, we knew you'd be going soon And I was so young, babe, I hoped that you knew that I meant well And when I looked in your eyes, I thought I knew you could tell Now I'm blown back from the cemetery gates You who I love dealing now I must wait To be reunited in the sky when it opens Well, my feet are so tired, baby But my spirit ain't broken Take a look at me now Take a look at me now April Fool I watch, wistful, out through the window As she cried to me She said she was sorry I did not know what to say or do I could not say anymore I love you Though I deeply felt for her And us, one, two When she left, I cried too. And the rain fell outside clear and true, as if it were starting a cleanse of this cold, hard April fool.
And there you have it, episode 221 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. Thank you to Surf William for a wonderful conversation. See you soon. Also, thank you to Truman Capote for going through the turmoil you honestly did, it seems, to write in cold blood. And thank you to these wonderful musical artists. The Eels, A Tribe Called Quest, Jason Collette, Leif Volbeck, Talking Heads, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Thank you, Boston, San Francisco, Kenya, Atlanta, Ghana, and south of France. Good old Scranton, too. Have a wonderful week. Talk with you soon.